Hello there, and welcome to Consortio Day. This is a podcast about partnering with God to do sacred work. My name is John Chandler, and I'm a spiritual director, and I offer this podcast as a companion to the work that I do as a spiritual director uh, from my own experience in church leadership and nonprofit leadership. I'm well aware of the burdens and the challenges of that ministry and what it means then to care for your soul alongside that kind of work. And so I offer interviews like this, like I'm having today with Curtis Zachary, uh, to just extend the conversation and that, so that all of us can be learning from one another. How do we sustain ourselves when we're doing work that requires so much of us um, in terms of heart, soul, mind, and strength? So as I mentioned, my guest today is Curtis Zachary, and Curtis was a longtime ministry leader in multiple contexts uh, who had his own story of challenges and, and difficulty and realized he needed to take better care of himself. And so now, further down the road, uh, he walks alongside other leaders to see um, how he can help them, how he can encourage them, how he can care for them. I really appreciate uh, what he has to say is a brief intro on his website. His website is findrest.org. Uh, and Curtis says, We help spiritually depleted leaders find true rest. We hope you feel seen, heard, known, and loved along the journey. And in this conversation with Curtis, I have no doubt he's really good at making that happen. You can just sense a, a, a presence and a, an encouraging soul as I talked with him. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. And if you're looking for this kind of um, partnership, someone to journey alongside you, that's, of course, what I try to do with my spiritual direction practice. I offer both individual spiritual direction as well as cohorts for spiritual formation. And I'd be glad to have you look at my website and learn more about that and see if there's some way I can walk alongside you. The website is consortioday.com. It's linked in the description of this podcast, or maybe you're already on the website, but you can see in my main navigation for the site that I offer direction and cohorts. And I encourage you to just check all that out or drop me a line and see how I can support you. Again, my name is John Chandler, and my guest today is Curtis Zachary. Yeah, go for it. All right. Well, Curtis, it's great to meet you. Do you prefer Curtis or do you prefer CZ? Because I've seen places you say CZ. Uh, both are great. Yeah, it's just right. is what kind of comes out at the time when I'm asked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Well, tell us a little bit about the sacred work you do. Tell us about your ministry. Uh, so a lot of what I give my life to is uh, really centered on what I would call pastoral care with a focus on helping people to find rest, um, just looking toward the hope that we have in understanding that God's intention for humanity was uh, a level of contentment and contentedness that I think yeah. is available to us and maybe is elusive in the way that we do life on a regular basis. And so hopefully trying to point to a different way of understanding God's intention for us and maybe a different way that we can live uh, yeah. different from the culture. Yeah. You say, you say maybe it's elusive. That sounds like a very gentle way to put it. <laughs> Cause I think it is elusive. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, what I've discovered in my own life and then also in my work is um, it's very rare for us to feel uh, settled in what I would call a restful rhythm. And I think um, more than not, we're just given over to what has seemed normative over time. And so yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so tell us a little bit leading up to this season that you're in now, you know, cause I first became aware of you probably about eight years ago. And my impression then was you were ministry in a church setting, but I don't know that for sure, honestly. Um, so tell us a little bit of your journey. Like what, what's brought you to a place where this is what you're passionate about? Yeah, I think it's a succession of different uh, events and conversations and life experiences that have led to what I would say is now uh, firmly planted as what I probably will give the rest of my life to. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was a part of uh, vocational ministry in the realm of church staff for about 18 years yeah, uh, yeah. in some capacity, uh, whether it was um, uh, at church plants or in a small church setting, uh, and more recently in a uh, larger uh, kind of mega church setting. and. Sure. Uh, yeah, so I've always kind of understood the expression of ministry life through that set of lenses and yeah. had really been limited in a lot of ways to thinking what it meant to give my life to ministry really was solely uh, contained in what yeah. I would understand those pathways to be. Yeah. Uh, but really to kind of uh, capsulize the whole idea, uh, when I was serving in uh a more under-resourced church planning season. Yeah. Uh, during that time, I began to recognize that a lot of the work that I was doing um, was propelled and uh, pushed forward mostly by my own willpower, uh, really by my own abilities, by my sure. own gift set. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it just was not sustainable. And so I started to recognize that there was a level of fatigue that I was experiencing that I didn't really know how to put my finger on. And it transcended just getting away for a few days or trying to get some more sleep yes, and that kind yeah. of thing. Um, it was just a, a depth uh, of tired that I had never even experienced or even heard of uh, in my own life. And so it started to mount when I realized that a lot of the work that I was doing didn't have a natural resolve to it. You know, there was uh, a lot of work that we were doing alongside homeless friends who were looking for a place to live or maybe folks who were uh, in recovery situations or transitioning from prison into civilian life. And so uh, there was no like, this is done. Right. <laughs> and so I mean, then there's always think, someone else, right? There's always right. someone else homeless. There's always that's someone right. else transitioning. Yeah, exactly. So I think uh, the thing that began to be vividly clear to me was. Uh, ultimately, I was doing a lot of work for God. I just wasn't really doing that work with God. And it was a hard and sobering realization. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can relate in a lot of ways, you know, as uh, the spiritual direction work I do mostly with people who are in ministry in church settings now. And one of the things that I always say when I'm in an initial consult with someone in that work is when I was in church ministry, I often felt like a poser. And not because my faith wasn't, you know, not because I didn't believe it or anything like that, but I just felt like um, there were people who were more genuine and, and authentic in their relationship with Jesus than I was. And I say that, all that to say, like, I can't tell you how many times when I say that in a consult with someone who's in ministry, how much they resonate with that, right? Because everything about the systems, not everything, but a lot about the systems just gear us towards just get it done. Just get it done. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that there are some inherent realities that we adopt over time when we begin to serve in ministry. And everybody's intentions are good. You know, yours as someone who is giving your life to serve God and advance the kingdom uh, knows that this construct slash system is the way that is most um, readily available for us to do that. And so as we begin to participate in the way that the system or construct works, um, those inherent realities both become ways that we adapt our life to, to survive, but then also those same inherent realities grind and grate against certain sensibilities that I think yes. are important for human beings to recognize. And so the tension point usually is reached at some place in the journey. And usually what happens is either uh, that person is let go because they are unable to sustain inside of their role right. and abilities, yeah. or they tap out and say, you know, this isn't really for me. Or, or maybe I try a different iteration of the system or construct, yeah. thinking that maybe there's something I'm not seeing that will be different the next right. time. You know? and, and those are the two gentle ways. Sometimes it comes to a crisis, right? Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately. That's um, right. So tell us then a little bit more about, you know, because I just pulled up your Find Rest website. Tell us a little bit more about, practically speaking, what is the work you do now walking alongside others look like? Yeah. So I think it's um, <laughs> it's funny because I have a lot of conversations here in my city where I hope to be just a friend to uh, our community and also to those who are serving in ministry. And so in one sense, I can give you a whole list of uh, specific things that I hope for to be objectives in the future and what I'm trying to do. And then in another sense, I'm like, I don't know, looks different every day, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Uh, So it's really beautiful. I feel like um, practically speaking, the easiest way to say, what I do or what I'm attempting to do is to just be a friend to those who are experiencing uh, an acute awareness of their lack of ability to sustain, uh, whether it's in ministry leadership or ministry participation. That's kind of more of a focus for me, I think, because of my experience uh, in serving in ministry roles, but also just the relationships and friendships that I've had over time uh, have been developed around those kind of centers, uh, and it's led to a natural organic opportunity to serve folks in those situations. And what I've found is when I've shared my own story, there are a lot of people who resonate with what I'm talking about, but they don't really have a place to process what uh, they're experiencing or thinking or feeling about their own journey. And so uh, what you do in spiritual direction work and what so many others do in receiving people who are in crisis is beautiful. And what I found was uh, as much as I tried to deflect and defer, honestly, this is not something that I'm not inherently a starter, to be honest. I'm more of a helper. And I think uh, just my love and my desire for pastoral care uh, is really what is a driving force and factor in life. And so the idea of organizationally um, asserting myself was kind of a different, <laughs> sure. different thing. Uh, but what I started to recognize in the stewardship of this whole conversation was um, so just uh, practically speaking, I wrote this book and on the other side of that, when people would reach out, I would try to kind of play proxy 
to different people. Well, let me get you hooked up with these three people that I've learned from. And I read these books, I'll give you a bibliography. And then I took this course and I did this. And at the end of all of that, most people would say, yeah, that's great. But can I just talk to you? (laughs) (laughs) Can can we just have a conversation? (laughs) Yeah. Because you share some of your story in your book, right? So you're immediately relatable. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, call it um, deprecating, call it um, fear, call it whatever. Vulnerability. (laughs) We'll call it whatever we call it. But I think one of the things that I started to feel was, well, there are so many other people who I feel like I've learned from and are immensely more qualified um, to be a help in these types of situations. But what I've learned over time is my experience and the things that I have learned have provided uh, kind of a fertile ground for us to do work together along the way. And so, um, yeah, so I I think as a container, it's probably the easiest way to say what I do. And then uh, practically in different situations, it looks different with different people. Yeah. And I I mean, not that the uh, Nashville metro area can't support someone in the work that you're doing, but are you finding that most of the people you're working with are in the Nashville area or are you working with ministry leaders everywhere now? Yeah, it's kind of a mixture. So yeah. I uh, love local. <laughs> That's yeah, my sure. favorite face to face, yeah. Thing in the whole world is just to live and love in a city and um I've really grown to love uh my city Franklin, Tennessee uh immensely uh over years in time. I grew up in New Jersey and so to be here has really felt more like home than anywhere else. Hmm. Um but that being said, just because of experiences and years uh, of passage and relationships, I've gotten to know a lot of different people in different spaces. Yeah. And uh, in 2019 was when I intentionally started leaning into this work. Mm-hmm. And then 2020 happened. Right, and so right. in that way, it was um, incredibly uh, illuminating for me because yeah. not only was the harvest plentiful in regard to people dealing with burnout, but um, the ability to connect with people through zoom was now standardized, which then created this new opportunity to think differently about what it meant to serve other people. And so I've been able to have conversations with folks in different state, different countries even now because of uh, the technology. And, and that's been a gift. I, I prefer smaller groups in person, uh, but I am definitely open to every conversation. Yeah, I, I've been pleasantly surprised um, by how it, certainly Zoom is not the same, but I've also been pleasantly surprised with what kind of meaningful connection can be had when there's some shared intention, you know, yes. between two people for that. And it, it's really made things more available and flexible and um, more attainable for a lot of people. So, yeah. Well, tell us then a little bit about. You know, I'd be curious, even in this season, I don't know if you would say that this season of life, I mean, we we can both relate to the hustle of ministry. And I don't know if you would say that the season you're in matches that or if it gives you more flexibility, but I'm, I'd just love to hear more about what do your rhythms look like now for you to sustain yourself while you support others? Yeah, I think there's a quote from Soren Kierkegaard that has been uh, very uh, just 
very present for me along the journey and almost acts like uh, you ever go bumper bowling, <laughs> you know, where you throw the ball down and yeah. keeps you out of the gutters. I feel like this quote has done that for me. He said, it is absolutely unethical when one becomes so busy communicating that he forgets to be what he teaches. Yeah. Um, that's, I don't think I've ever heard that. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because I think a lot of us, myself included, yeah. find ourselves in burnout seasons because of that. Yeah. But then I think also from a stewardship standpoint, moving forward, uh, that's been for me uh, a governance as well, because I have this inherent accountability in that I wrote a book about rest. Right. And now people are asking all the time, like, well, what's it look like for you? So <laughs> there's always this built in sense of wanting to honor uh, what I've discovered as true, but also this like permission slash uh, reminder from people to say like, well, how is that true? <laughs> you know? Right. And so one of the things that uh, I have learned uh, to be very intentional about is recognizing the distinction between fullness and busyness. So there are seasons of time where there are a lot of things to do. So yes. that is not something that uh, I presume you can uh, stave off <laughs> or right, change. Right. You can't. But what you can change or stave off is how the things that you need to do affect your life. And I think busyness is something that we become beholden to. Yeah. We are then responding to it rather than fullness being we're aware of the things that we need to do and we are governing the way that we do those things. So I think that's the distinction. So yeah, right now there's probably, I would say a more full season with opportunities to be able to hang out with people and to have conversations and to do certain things. But, um, the, the shift or the difference is, uh, I have, I mean, it's a pretty strong word, but I've refused to allow busyness to dominate my life. And I think that's been a huge game changer in the way that, you know, life situations look uh, in my yeah. own story. And, and would you say the difference between fullness and busyness, how much of that is, cause I, I really like that terminology. Um, I don't think I've, I've tried to stay off, stave off the use of the word busyness myself or busy and tried to find other ways. And I like saying fullness as you've just described, would you say determining the difference between those is <laughs> speaking of busyness? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Sorry about that. Uh, would you say that the difference between those is more about just your perspective on them or is, is, does it require a certain level of clarity on your own part and knowing what things you can say no to and yes to? Yeah, I think it's a combination of all that. I think uh, some would say it's semantics. I don't believe so. I think it's a level of intentionality that dictates the way that you're approaching life. Um, I think your ability to be aware of what is true about your current situation and therefore um, govern what your response to what right. is necessity, um, y you have a lot more control than I think you give yeah. yourself credit for. Yes. Yeah. And that's something that I think I've learned over time. And it's funny. Yeah, just even that notification there. So my phone, I have a light phone 
So, oh, yeah. uh, so a light phone <laughs> is basically just calls, texts, you know, there's a calendar on there, a couple of different things that it does, but that is a way that I'm able to, uh, redefine my relationship with technology. So rather than technology telling me what to do, yeah. it is a tool that I utilize. And so those little things end up becoming, um, they have bigger implications. So I think to your question, those are the types of decisions that I found are necessary incrementally that ultimately lead to a greater sense of um, really having, it's really more than anything. It's just like having your bearings, being able to be aware. And uh, you talked about a hustle uh, mentality yeah, yeah. connected to ministry life. Um, again, those are words that we use when we're beholden to it. Yeah. And I think that that's the the shift that we have to make. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what does this, so what does it look like for you? Like what are, you, you know, you've, you've written about rest. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your rhythms of rest look like? Yeah. So I think it's all relative, um, relative for my own seasons of life yeah. and relative yeah. for every person. So right now we have a nine-year-old, a five-year-old, and we have one on the way, which is really oh, exciting. Wow. That's spread out. Um, yeah, spread out. And so <laughs> I think uh, in each of those seasons, uh, as the boys have grown up and uh, experienced different things in their lives, it has affected the way that my ability to be restful and to be intentional has looked. Uh, that being said, the essence of that has not changed. So the desire to live in a way that is um, sustainable is something that I've always tried to pursue. And really the biggest thing more than anything else is not even so much focusing on the what of what my day looks like and what I'm doing and practices, but really more than anything, it's the why behind it. And if my why is established, I'm able to live in a restful state regardless of what the what's look like. So for me, it's trying to really give myself permission to focus on my identity and my value, not being contingent on what I do uh, or what I produce uh, or what I have to offer, uh, but finding a way to continually remind myself that I can be at rest um, soulishly uh, because of who God is and what that means for my life. And so um, that has been the one standardized thing for me. Uh, yeah, and it yeah. looks different in different seasons. Yeah. And so, I mean, what have you learned along the way? Like, how do you know when it's time for that to change? How do you know when things aren't working right? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I think there's, um, in my own life, indicators that I feel like are blinking lights that um, quickly start to reveal um, stuff happening under the hood. Um, I find myself laughing less than I normally would. Um, I find myself withdrawing from, uh, things that would normally be articulated as life-giving, um, community being one of those. Um, I find myself, uh, kind of beholden to, uh, responsibilities rather than me looking at my day and being able to dictate what things are going to look like. And so, um, yeah, I've just started to recognize in my own story, like these blinking indicator lights that cause me to have to stop and kind of assess what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you find that you are, do you find that you have like a, I think, 
I, I go back to this often because I think it was Sean Palmer, if you know who Sean is, mm-hmm. he's down in Houston. Um, I'm trying to remember the terminology, but he talked about how he has almost like a tool chest or something full of like mm-hmm. different practices that he knows, you know, he moves in and out of in different seasons. Um, that interview was a long time ago. Now I got to go back and listen to <laughs> myself. There you go. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm curious, like, do you have your, your go-tos or do you, do you find that you often need to just refresh, like change around what's going on for you? Yeah. I think that there's a couple of things that are, um, pretty standard in regard to being able to take assessment and also replenish in more immediate ways. It's like, um, if you've ever run in a long race, like I've done a couple of half marathons. And one of the things that I found that's really important is you have to fuel up (laughs) and I've tried to run without doing that. And it's been miserable. And then I've also run where you have those little gel packs or like a little, you know, orange or bite to eat or whatever. And it's just like these little hits of sustenance, um, uh, along the way. And so, yeah, there are certain, uh, prayer practice, uh, practices that are, uh, vitally important. Uh, uh, St. Ignatius gives us a great gift of some prayer practices. Um, there are some different questions that I'll ask myself, uh, that have become, uh, very invasive (laughs) and I feel Mm -hmm. very, uh, clarifying. Um, it's kind of the, um, uh, based on this idea of, I remember reading about, uh, Wesley had this holiness club. I think it was in the 1800s <laughs> and, uh, it was this group of people that would meet together him and this little cohort and they would ask themselves and each other, these 22 questions. And, uh, I think question number one on that list was like, uh, when most recently have you not shown up fully as yourself. In other words, when were you a hypocrite? You know, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, okay, we're, we're going there. All right. <laughs> well, it's like we're going there right away, right out of the gate, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I probably butchered the, the question, but what it led to for me was just what are the questions relative to my own situation and maybe even in my own community that can help me to feel like I'm asking not just cursory questions around faith, but like, what are the real things that are helping to reveal my true heart's intention? Because I think at the end of the day, honestly, um, it's, it's been very apparent to me over time that, uh, it's important to live, uh, aware and repentant, (laughs) continually aware and continually repentant because, uh, I for too long had been able to live, with good intentions, yes, uh, yeah. but without actually digging beneath uh, the surface. And do you, I mean, you talk about being aware. Do you feel like, I mean, you, the practices you're describing and your experience require a lot of self-awareness. Is that something you feel like you've always had or no. has it required a lot? Like, <laughs> how did you learn that you need to be self-aware and how, you know, what, because a lot of people aren't self-aware and they'll never be self-aware because, they're not aware they need to be self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> there you go. That's very um, eloquent. <laughs> that was indeed. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I feel like I'm uh, in some ways a, a, a hybrid or a, an interesting use case for this because I think where I grew up and what my life was like as a kid into my teen years 
required for me to become older than I needed mm. to be at my age faster yeah. than yeah. I should have. So in that way, I think there was a lot of self-awareness and awareness of the world that was thrust into my situation that helped me to see the things around me with a better perspective. At the same time, I think though I had more of a street smart, so to speak, there wasn't as much of uh, what I would say a spiritual self-awareness that allowed for me to get to the real of what was happening in my heart because there was almost a combination of both being aware enough of what's going on around me to not be hurt by it, but also um, guarding and shielding things in my heart that both were survival mechanisms from when I was a kid, but then also began to be modes of operation, which then allows me to be shielded from the rest of the world. I, I read this quote or I heard this quote and it was so apropos and I feel like it's still something I come back to. It's, um, I'm going to butcher it, but it's basically the protections of the past are the prisons of the present. (laughs) And I think that's been my story. There were things that I had to be and become and do in order to survive. And that's great until you don't need to survive anymore. And yet you live that way. And so I think for me, uh, Again, to answer your question, like that self-awareness in one sense has always been established, but really even recently just through discovering places of trauma and hurt and pain from my story that have caused me to be um, restrictive in my view of what was even true about myself. It wasn't until those things began to be revealed that I was able to become fully aware. Yeah. Are you at a place where you become aware of those things even physically in your body? Like, do you have, are you aware of cues in your body? Like, what do you notice? Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm so thankful because I feel like so much of my life, uh, because of those survival mechanisms that I didn't even realize I had been enacting, uh, had become standardized. Uh, Any cues in my body or any sort of like indicators, as I was talking about before, where I was numb to those. I had no real um, even thought about the fact that danger was on the horizon, you know, whereas uh, moving toward a place of repentance and clarity and hopefulness and healing, um, your sensitivity becomes so much greater and heightened that, you know, you begin to sense about yourself, breathing patterns, um, what my heart is doing, um, just even like, heightened sensation and tingling, like in my, you know, it's almost like, you know, this, this kind of thing that feels like it's not really possible, but when you begin to remove all the barriers and all the things that have become, uh, it's like the, the, what's that one, the whole 30 diet, you know, it's like people do the whole 30 diet and they get rid of all of these things that have an effect on your body. And then as you introduce them back in, you're so much more sensitive to that. And I would say kind of to your question, that's really what it is for me. I feel like there's a sensitivity that has been uh, clarified that now allows me to see, Oh, I need to pay attention. Yeah. I I was thinking about this as you were talking, Um, you talked earlier about your own rest. Rest is, 
as much for you, not a, I am working and then I'm resting and this designation between the two so much as approaching everything with the posture of rest. And, you know, now you're, now you're in a role or in a job, you know, so to speak, where you're independent more in the work that you do, where I would imagine the lines between work and not working blur more. So I, just out of that, I'm curious, what does it look like for you to make sure that you, you know, disengage from work when you need to, or, you know, I, another way that I could ask this, I know in the questions I sent you is like, what hobbies do you have that help you just kind of disengage yeah. from the work you do? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both enacting hobbies and things you can give yourself to that are life-giving Yeah, coupled with intentionality around how you set up your uh, work rhythms. So I think back to what I said a little bit earlier, and I've become more and more convinced of, I think we have more control over things than we give ourselves credit for. I think one of the things that I've recognized over time, uh, not only in myself, but in conversations with others is how immediately we will discount the possibility of moving forward towards something we're hopeful in simply because of the idea of what it represents for us or why we can or can't do it. And that has been fascinating. And one way that that's been illuminated to me um, is, is the light phone. So I I switched my phone about six months ago and it's become a a very interesting talking point for a lot of people. You know, they see this thing. Talk about it all you want here. Cause I'm, (laughs) I think it's a fascinating idea. Yeah. Yeah. We can come back to it more specifically, but I'll just give you this. Like, so people see the phone and many times, I mean, I would say nine times out of 10 in any conversation unbidden from me, somebody will say something to the effect of, man, I wish I could do something like that too. Like I wish I could change my phone that way. And I'll say something like, well, yeah, man, I can send you a link or I can tell you about it or, you know, well, why don't you do it? And again, nine times out of 10, most people are saying, I I can't do it because this thing about my work requires that I have this phone or uh, there's this thing with my kids and I have to whatever. Now, that may or may not be true. That's, you know, for each person to discover over time. I think the thing that I would say is, if it is indeed true, allow that to be true as a result of the process of taking the next right step to see if what you're assuming is actual reality. And uh, case in point being, the last time I had a conversation with a guy about the phone, he said, you know what, man, there's no way I could ever do that because there are so many reasons that I have to have my smartphone for my work. And usually in most of our conversation, that would end the conversation because his assumption that that was not possible, uh, coupled with my desire to stay out of his business, you know, equals it's a moot point. Move on. Next conversation. But because I just curiously said, hey, well, well, if you want, I can, you know, from my own experience, kind of lean in with you and maybe help you process because it sounds like you want to do this. He said, yeah, 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 okay. Well, let me tell you. And the first one is this. I need to have email for my work. 
well, I kind of gave him three different things that I've discovered over time in my own intentional practice and ways that you could do it. And it was very feasible. And he kind of got to the end of that and said, wow, okay, well, yeah, I think I actually could do that. And then I was like, all right, what's number two? Okay, let's, <laughs> let's get in there. All right, now, now we're doing it. Yeah. And what was hilarious and somewhat illuminating was him saying, no, you know what? I think that was it. Actually, let's do it. <laughs> and what was fascinating was in his mind, the idea of doing it was so daunting and impossible yes, yeah. that he did not even think that it was going to be a, a right. thing that he could do. Yeah. But taking the time to lean in. So back to your question, I would say that's what I've tried to embody in my own life, whether it's um, the way that I set up my times for work at home. Yeah. Uh, or the ways, the boundaries that I'm able to find for what work looks like in my life and including the things that I uh, find life-giving. So I, I love to run. Um, yeah. If I'm not careful, I can fall prey to the same thing. Well, I don't have time to run. Well, yeah. let's take a step toward that and see. Or um, I can't not do work at home. Well, let's take a step toward that and see. So I just think it's intentionality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about your journey with the light phone. Like what, what did you, what did you learn about yourself? What, first of all, let's ask this, what led you to make that choice? Was that a, this feels healthy or it feels like this thing here is unhealthy <laughs> getting rid of the other. Yes. To both. <laughs> I think, um, you know, one of the things that I've found about myself through this journey is how dependent I, I was on my smartphone. Yeah. Um, I don't think that the right conversation is always in terms of how addicted we are to our smartphones um, because, quite frankly, I think every person who has a smartphone, unbeknownst to themselves, has become addicted to it simply because of the inherent way that it operates. It's yeah. just designed for us to yes. work relative yeah. to it. So I don't think the right thing is to look at how addicted we are. I think the thing that it exposed to me, because I wouldn't have said I was addicted to using my phone. I didn't use my phone all the time, whatever. Um, but I saw how dependent I had become in day-to-day -day practices on what it provided for me. Mm -hmm. So the way that a smartphone worked actually limited my ability to utilize my inner resource. <laughs> All of my resources had been outsourced to my phone. Yeah. Uh, what's the weather like? Uh, look at my phone instead yeah. of going outside. Right. <laughs> How do I get to a place? You know, that's what of I'm thinking, thinking about. about. That's <laughs> what I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And so, so I think one part is that. I think the other part is um, honestly temptations and distractions that come from a smartphone. I think there's a verse in Second Timothy two. Uh, where Paul says, flee from youthful lusts and yeah. pursue righteousness. Yeah. And it's interesting because I'm like, all right, you can get into the semantics around what is a youthful lust? Like, what is, is he talking about like lust? Like, wh which kind of like lust is he, you know, all that. I think at the end of the day, one of the things that Paul was continually saying, both there and Second Timothy, he's talking about it in First Corinthians. It's like this idea of fleeing idolatry, moving away from the place where there's a potential for you to be given over to things that are just simply not healthy and productive and life-giving. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, I think there were things in my own story that 
um, were triggered and or tempted as a result of my own trauma and my own life that uh, could be accentuated and uh, fan the flame of temptation and distraction because of how a smartphone inherently works. So I think a culmination, that's why I say it was both. It was like the recognition of the unhealthy way that a smartphone uh, operates by nature. And then also uh, looking at the unhealthy way that I operate by nature. (laughs) And then the combination of those two things together led to the decision. So you're six months in. Six months in. Are you, is it like, is your perspective now, I don't imagine I will ever go back or is it a continual reminder of this is good for me. I'm going to only use this. Yeah. It's um, I am not a man of definitive statements often. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like an always or never. You're man. not going to let me put you into that binary. <laughs> well, well, that's right. But what I will say is in this case, I will never go back. <laughs> this yeah. is wow. a game changer in my life. I have, experience life in ways that um, I think are intended for us to experience them. Yeah. I don't demonize, nor do I think smartphones are bad. Sure. Um, but what I feel very strongly about is the way that I've been able to experience life and experience the world has been enhanced and colored uh, because I have removed distraction and removed underlying anxieties that I didn't even know were present. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I do feel very strongly in that way that this is kind of the, the rest of my life kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got a dog um, a year ago and I'm just aware, even when we're walking the dog, like I've tried to make it a fairly regular thing of just walking the dog. I'm not going to pull my phone out and I'm aware of how often I feel like I should check on, this or that, you know, yeah. or, and I fail at it often. So, all right. One, one last question for you. Where are the time here? But the big, the big question that I love to ask, who do you hope to be in 10 years? Like living the way you're living now, who do you hope you're becoming? Yeah. I would say that my greatest desire is to be a man who lives simply loves his family well and walks in wisdom toward outsiders making the most of every opportunity. You know, I think about how life has looked for me until this point. And I think about the ebbs and flows of what I've gotten to experience both in life in general and more specifically, even in ministry settings, you know, whether it's, talking to a bunch of people in a big room full of folks or mm-hmm. uh, writing a book or doing whatever, like all of those things I think are um, well and good. Um, I think about the failures that I've, uh, I've been victim of uh, <laughs> participating in, in my life and, yeah. or not victim or participating in, but I, I think about the ways that I've made decisions that have been, um, shameful even in my own life. I think about the lessons that I've learned and the wisdom that I've gained. I think about all of those things and the culmination really kind of to me leads toward this hopefulness that whatever soup (laughs) that is cooks up into a person who uh, just gives their lives, gives their life to loving others well and pointing to the way of Jesus and 
Um, I've just really decidedly wanted to become more and more simple in my approach uh, to what life looks like. And so I hope that's the case. I hope I'm, I always like dream about, you know, being the guy who's reading the newspaper at a coffee shop and, you know, being able to do that until you're 95. Like, man, that sounds like a dream life. (laughs) Yeah. There's never been a time when I've been in a coffee shop and haven't seen someone sitting there just with like a book or a journal and thought, I respect them. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, That's impressive. And I feel like, you know, we can start making those decisions now. And I think that's what partly inspired even the light phone decision. It was like, man, rather than me waiting until I'm 80 and not knowing how to use a phone, what if I decide intentionally to make myself not use a phone? Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like you just want to be more present in 10 years. I mean, I, I really hope that's true. Yeah. Well, Curtis, thanks so much for, uh, and I mean, I mentioned your website earlier, but, and, you know, we've talked about your book, but I don't know that we've like named titles or any of that. Why don't you talk just briefly about where people can find you and your book and all that? Yeah. So the book that I wrote a few years back is called uh, Soul Rest. Mm -hmm. And then I followed that up with a devotional called Finding Soul Rest. And it's a 40 day journey. Um, uh, the website for the ministry is findrest.org. And uh, I don't have any social media anymore. So yeah. it's a very liberating thing to be able to say because I went the nuclear option and just basically deleted all the accounts. And so it's been a really beautiful gift to me. So I hear you. I've been um, untethering as well, and it feels pretty darn good. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Curtis. It's a, it's, Great to have this conversation with you. Um, I'm glad I stumbled on you all these years later to find what you're doing because I think you're doing, I think the work you're doing, I don't don't think it's an accident um, Mm. that in 2019 you made this move Mm. uh, to this, to this ministry you're doing now. And I think it's needed Uh, from the people I'm talking to. And I'm sure from the people you're talking to, we're both seeing just how valuable this is. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, man, you got it. All right.